Rock Warriors, Quay Tanse Sego, Quay Nina Luizi Pam Palmeter, and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And there was a time when governments, institutions, media, and society erased our histories and silenced our voices. And when they did talk about our issues, they spoke over us and for us in a way that covered up our lived realities. This is changing. Even in my lifetime, I've seen a significant difference. I've seen more and more Native peoples represent us in a wide range of areas, from land defenders, water protectors, lawyers, teachers, authors, actors, and filmmakers. Today's guest is someone whose work I have admired for a really long time. Courtney Montour is a Mohawk filmmaker whose work focuses on exploring all of the complex issues related to Indigenous identity, an area that I care a lot about too. Her previous films include Flat Rocks and Sex Spirit Strength, and she's also directed several episodes for other documentary series like Mohawk Ironworkers and Skindigenous. She also has some really exciting news to share with us today about a new documentary. So we better just get right into this. Welcome to the Warrior Life podcast, Courtney. Hi, Pam. Now for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm literally so excited that you're doing this. But before we get right into it, and before we share that really exciting news, maybe you could just share, uh, introduce yourself the way that you like to. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm I'm Mohawk Ganyageha from Ganawage Mohawk Territory, and my community is just outside of Montreal. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to work with my community and just the Indigenous community uh, in this area um, pretty much all of my life on different issues. Uh, started off working in education and now that transi- transitioned into being a filmmaker. And uh, I've been working in film now for just over 12 years. That's really exciting. And I know a lot of people, when they listen to my podcast, anyone who comes on my podcast, the first question, I mean, they have several questions, but the first one they always ask is, how did this person get to where they are today? So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your path. You know, like, what were all the steps that you took to get to where you are today? I mean, I I did journalism. I graduated from journalism um, at Concordia University. And I had never intended to go into film. I didn't think, you know, I had a film background. Uh, My next move was to actually um, go over to McGill University and work in the School of Social Work there and help uh, coordinate their uh, Indigenous Access McGill, their support service for Indigenous students. And from there, that led to creating a course uh, with the Gunawage community, uh, Indigenous Field Studies. So uh, a course where we take students um, from, up, from McGill, you know, bring them to the community. Everything is led by the community. Um, so that was a, a really great experience to co-found that with several people at the university and it's an ongoing course. 
And at the same time, um, I, I started in film. I, I started working uh, with a Cree production company called Mushkeg Media in Montreal. And at that time, again, like I said, 12, 13 years ago, they had some you know, training positions and just wanted to bring um, Indigenous people in and, and give them access uh, to these opportunities to work in documentary. So that's how I got started. Uh, I think that was so important um, that that opportunity was there, that there was the support, you know, from from a First Nations production company to take on people who didn't have experience in film and say, you know, try your hand at editing, try your hand at sound, do some production coordination. And then now, you know, if you want to direct, hey, come on board and direct. And so I directed uh, with them a few series, including Mohawk Ironworkers, which you mentioned. And, and that to me is really special, again, because uh, we filmed a lot with my community, Gunawage, uh, and bringing that, that history to, to the screen. And that's what's really important to me is that all of my work is really based on bringing um, our Indigenous stories, you know, to the screen and our histories. And so our communities can be proud to see their stories out there. What's really exciting about that is not only are you learning about all of this, getting work experience in, you know, documentaries, directing, filming, like everything that goes with it, but you're also helping to share that knowledge with other people so that we have the next generation coming up and they can represent our voices. And I think that's, that's the best part about this, you know, in other societies, you have people who are, you know, they're the only one expert and they keep all the information to themselves like gatekeepers. But in our communities, it's about, you know, how are we giving back in this relationship with our communities? So that's that's really exciting to hear that that's, you know, some of the experience that you brought to all of this. And in the introduction, you also talk like I also talked about two of the other documentaries that you worked on. And I'm wondering if you can talk about Flat Rocks and Sex, Spirit, Strength. Like, what were they about? And, and you know, why did you choose to work on those particular documentaries? Sex, Spirit, Strength uh, is a one-hour documentary, and it follows the journey of, of two young men, uh, parallel stories, as they're, they're making their way through issues of sexual health and gender identity. And for me, that was really important because um, I feel like there's a lot of shame and stigma, um, maybe some you know lack of knowledge and access um, to these services in our communities. So I think it was really inspiring to hear from these these young men as they they navigate those issues in their lives. Um, and Flat Rocks was a, a short documentary, a ten minute film that uh, talked about the St. Lawrence Seaway that was built in the 1950s and that came through my community, the Gunawage Mohawk community. And now we have this you know, huge canal, ships come through all the time, uh, it took away you know, acres and acres of our land, people were displaced, um, they weren't compensated fairly, uh, like non-Indigenous people were. And it was a really traumatic experience that changed the shape, nature uh, of our community and our access to water, which was so important to us. So in the short film, we really get to see that story through um, a 79-year-old farmer at the time, Louis Daibo in the 1950s, and how he 
was re really went against the Canadian government and was one of the last people to to hold out on his land as they were bulldozing around him. So Courtney, it's clear from the documentaries that you've been working on and the projects that you're working on and the people that you work with, that you choose topics that are relatively undercovered in film and media generally, but really touch on really important issues to people. What gave you that direction? I think you've said it yourself. It's, it's important to my community. It's important to the other Indigenous people I know. It's important to me. Um, and that's why I want to get these stories out there. Or this is why it's the focus of my stories. It's, um, yeah, mainstream media looks over these things. And I'm, I'm always thinking if this story gets out there, one, it's, our history is then known. The history is coming out. Um, and a lot of times these issues also have to do with the Canadian government. And once they're known and once they're out there, there's they have to respond to these things <laughs> once we put it out there. Um, like Flat Rocks, um, you know, there's lots of documentation, but a film hadn't been made before on, on the seaway construction in Gunnawage. And even though it's short, again, it was done in a way, um, I think, to also honor the community and the experiences. And I also brought in uh, the Ganyageha Mohawk language as a narration for the water. That was that was the voice of the water. Um, so I think that, that's really important. It has to come from our perspective to really explain to people um, how this has impacted us and how it continues to impact us. And for me, that's why it's so related to education and why I was involved in creating this course at McGill. And because people come into the course and they're learning something new. Many times they're shocked and surprised that they don't know these things or that some of them weren't aware that, you know, these ships are coming right behind your house in Ganawage, um, or that this destruction happened in this way without, um, the community's okay on it. So that's why it's important to bring these issues out. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of education. We know that, you know, all levels of government have not done a good job of properly educating Canadians on who we are, our current roles, things that have happened in the past, and the ongoing land dispossession issues that we face. And, you know, you're able to take in a short period of time and make moving and impactful educational documentaries to really help not just talk about the issue, but the way you framed it, like in your voice, in your language, the impacts on your people. And I think the, those stories often get left out, which you know really leads me into my next question. Um, and it's something that I care very much about too. Like how important do you think it is for this increasing number of Native peoples to be represented in the media in all dimensions, like whether they're producers, writers, the directors, the actors, you know, the filmmakers themselves. How important is that? It's so important because for so long, other people have been telling our stories and coming into our communities. Um, we need that chance to be able to, to share it from our perspectives. And it's even, you know, it's as important to have Indigenous producers and, and funders um, because if it's only non-Indigenous people in those positions, 
they might have a different perspective of how things should be done and and how we film. Um, a lot of times, I, I know for a lot of Indigenous filmmakers, including myself, it's time. It's building relationships. Um, it's, you know, when I work with people, they become my extended family. And I really think about, um, you know, what they've shared with me and and the impact that this film is going to have on, on their lives. You know, it, it's there forever. So those are things that, that I think about, that many people think about, that, you know, trying to navigate uh, what's the protocols of the community that I'm going to be visiting, um, you know, how, how can I spend this day and this time with them? And sometimes when you think about non-Indigenous, you know, funding and producing, that's not profitable. And we need to change that, that mindset because this is the way that things need to be done with time and care um, so that everyone feels good with what they've shared and the story that's going to live forever. It's really exciting because I met you years ago, you know, when I first came to Ontario and I knew that you were in this industry and you were doing all of this work and it just, it made me so happy. It was like, here is this young person who is coming up as, and is going to properly represent our native voices on issues that we really, really care about things like identity. So I'm not going to spoil the great news, but let's just jump right into your great news because you have a documentary that is going to be premiered at Hot Docs this May. So first of all, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. And can you tell all of our listeners and viewers what this film is all about? Well, the film is called Married to Acts Early. I am Indian again. And it's a, a short documentary on Mary Tuax Early. Uh, she was a Mohawk woman from my community, Gunawage, and I just, you know, she's she's one of my heroes. Um, she took on the government and to change sex discrimination in the Indian Act, and that's really what her, her fight was. And you know, worked for decades and decades uh, with other women to change these laws so that uh, Indigenous women and children could come back to their communities, could be accepted, could belong. Um, so that's really the, the heart of the story in this, this half an hour documentary. Um, and it's the first film on Mary Two Acts Early. Um, and it's a chance for her to share her story again in her own voice. Um, we have some beautiful audio recordings that uh, filmmaker Elanisa Bobswin had recorded with Mary um, back in 1984 in Mary's home in Gunawage. And they had sat together for several months. And so these, these recordings are the backbone of the film. And so I think it gives it like, it's just exciting that it's the first film and that it's such a special way because Mary gets to tell her own story and her own voice and speak to us rather than someone else telling her story. That's one of the parts that I like the most. Now I'm going to admit to everyone that I've had a bit of a sneak peek about what this hot docs documentary is all about. And what I love most about it is it's your voice, your Mohawk Gayankahaga voice presenting the voice of another Gayankahaga person, Mary Two Acts Early, and and her powerful mission to end sex discrimination in the Indian Act. And I think that's exactly how it should be done. Not only should our histories be told by us 
in our voices, but that as much as possible, we let you know the, the leaders, the heroes, the advocates, the activists, you know, the people who are leading the way tell their story in their voice. And I, I am I am so excited for this documentary. And I'm wondering if you could talk like just a little bit more about the recordings because As a researcher, I've been working on identity issues for a long time. I wrote a book on, you know, Indian status and the Indian Act and all of the sex and race discrimination. And whenever I go to educate others about this or write about it, I look all over the Internet and in libraries just for like pictures of Mary. And I think there's like three pictures of her on the Internet, Uh, information about her. And I've never heard about these recordings. So could you tell us like how that all came about? Well, that's the one frustrating, infuriating thing is that there's almost no information, uh, you know, visuals, pictures, video, film footage out there um, from Mary's. And that's the first, you know, thing to say is that uh, Mary's fight and, and these women, their fight was so well documented over the years and, and the media was always covering them, but it wasn't kept. And so that was the really frustrating thing uh, during making this film as well. It was a four-year journey, and part of it was just the intensive research that went into it to really make sure that we weren't, well, that I wasn't overlooking anything. Um, And, you know, I would have all these written details and dates and sometimes have a media outlet and just so much information about an event or see how it was written in a, in a newspaper, but then you would go and, and go to request that and no, we, we threw it out. Um, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing that I want to talk about, how difficult it was and how upsetting it is that this isn't considered important as a whole by Canada, by our Canadian institutions. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that also has to do with that. It's, it's Indigenous women's stories. It's, it's a woman's story as a whole. Uh, you know, might have been done differently if, you know, if it was a man. <laughs> so so that, that, that's one big thing to, to start with. Um, and then the, the, the tapes from, from Alan East, these recordings, um, I, I've been fortunate to get to know Alanis um, through her work with me on Flat Rocks. She, she mentored me on, on that short film. And it was one day uh, in her office in 2017 and we were just sitting together and she mentioned that she had sat with Mary and spent some time with her and recorded her, but that she didn't do anything with these recordings herself because at the time one of Mary's friends was planning to make a film. So Alanis stepped back and, and put, you know, put saved these recordings, put them away and took care of them. And she asked me if I would like to do something with them. And, you know, I was just so honored, I don't know, taken aback, you know, like that that she she offered me uh, these recordings. And for me, I I really I really ensure that I work on projects that I care about. That's, that's the most important thing to me, that the issue, the people, that's something that I care about, because if not, then maybe there's, there's someone better out there to, 
to share this story. So, um, I, yes, of course. I mean, I've known of Mary for as long as I can remember. She's from my community. I always follow this issue of, of Indian status and who belongs and who doesn't. Um, and her Mary's name is, is always in, in every article out there when these issues are brought up. So yes, it was a yes, yes, yes. I, I, I'm going to take these recordings. And that was in 2017. And um, there's about six hours of recordings of Alice spending a few months uh, with, with her friend, Mary, sitting in Mary's home at the kitchen table and just talking. And I had the chance to hear a couple of other kind of journalist uh, interviews and it's not the same. Um, you know, Alanis is recording, spending time with Mary. It's, it's, it's two friends together. It's very intimate. It's very personal. Um, and then, you know, Alanis with her, her filmmaking skills, she's always there to, to listen and not, you know, not ask questions nonstop. Um, so it really, it just feels so warm. And yeah, it gets me emotional. I mean, when I got to the end of the, those six hours of tapes, which I've listened to a million times, but the first time I think it was just, you know, gut wrenching and I was actually quite sad um, that, that I was at the end of the tape. I can tell you, I haven't heard all of those tapes, but when I got a sneak peek at the documentary and I heard Mary's voice, it was so impactful. I mean, this is someone I didn't know. I'm not from Ganawage. I'm from Ugbeganjig in northern New Brunswick, Yilrubar First Nation. But my whole life, we grew up, my family impacted by sex discrimination in the Indian Act, racism in the Indian Act. And we've always looked to who's doing the work on this and how can we support it. And Mary Tuax Early's name was always there. She's one of the reasons why I did my doctoral research on this, why I've done like advocacy on this, why I've tried to help other people uh, on this issue. And so when I when I heard her voice, um, I, I, I just felt myself being very emotional. Like I'm hearing the words from someone who I consider like a grandmother. And, you know, maybe that's just a native thing, but she very much feels like the grandmother to all of the people that she helped return to their communities. And um, for, you know, for people who don't know Mary, this will be the first time maybe hearing her voice. But for all the native people who ever worked with her or knew her or, you know, knew about her, I imagine they're going to have the same reaction because it's just it's it's emotional as it is educational to hear her voice in a way that, you know, what are the chances that there would be these recordings here? And for people who don't know who Alanis Abomsawin is, she is a, a native documentary filmmaker. She's an award winner. She has been doing documentaries, you know, showing tons of issues impacting us, you know, whether it be land defenders, water protectors, you know, every issue that there is that's important to us, she's been covering it. And what I what I really appreciate about her is that she offered these recordings to you like you offer your knowledge and skills to another generation in Ganawage around filmmaking and things. It's like helping to build each other up. And um, so this, you know, this whole documentary 
just so impactful. And, you know, one of the things when I first heard you were working on this documentary, I think you had maybe, I read the first line of your email and I was like, oh, I don't even care what she's asking. Yes, yes, <laughs> whatever support I can offer you. Yes, yes, yes. But for people who don't, <clears throat> who don't really appreciate the significance. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the background leading up to this documentary? Because we know why you did it. I mean, she's from your community and she worked on this important issue. And we know so many people impacted by sex discrimination in the Act. But um, there, there's also a story uh, you tell about how you reached out in a, in a wider way to see if anybody had any information on Mary. I mean, again, I, the film is, is what it is because we also we also took the time, the four years to do it um, because of these recordings and knowing that Mary's voice was going to be telling her own story. And, and then part of that was supporting and surrounding Mary by, by those that, that once supported her, who admire her, so that was a big part of it. There's there's a network that's that's really um, here to support Mary and 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 the release of this film. And at one point, when you know what we call development stage, where I was doing research and we weren't sure yet if we would have the funding to actually make the film, um, and it's being done for the National Film Board of Canada. So they had an idea, let's let's put out a blog post. Um, let's put something out online, like a call out to let people know you're making the film. And does anybody have any, any leads for archives, photos, whatnot? And the response was, you know, was amazing. Um, so many people, again, across the country, indigenous, non-indigenous, um, were writing to me to share stories of meeting Mary. They, you know, it, sometimes it, it wasn't, it wasn't about I have, you know, a lead. It was, she has impacted me. I remember the one time I met her and this is what it was like. Um, so to know that, you know, sometimes that's 30, 40 years ago that they met Mary or heard her speak and they felt the need to, to share uh, you know, the story with me in, in detail, I mean, it just shows the, the lasting impression that, that Mary left with people um, because of her character, her compassion, her way to do this work with love, um, and the persistence, like, you know, 20 plus years of, of going to the government, saying the same story over and over and over, telling journalists the same thing over and over and over, but having that patience and it, it's people remember it and it changed the law uh, and it changed people's lives. And I think people are just really, they're really grateful that um, that Mary's story is finally going to be told in, you know, in a film. And so that support has been there also from um just lots of women who were part of the, the National Action Committee on the Status of Women were constantly putting me in touch with, with other women and people across the country that, you know, they might know someone, they might know someone. So now this network is there supporting Mary. And uh, that's one thing that I, the one thing I, I learned 
while making this film or was surprised about was, I guess, learning about her impact on women's rights in Canada. You know, I was always looking at it through this, this lens of Indigenous, Indigenous issues and First Nations women and children and, you know, what her work has, has done for them. But speaking with um, all, all of these non-Indigenous women who worked alongside her and who were inspired, they're the ones who told me how important her work was in the overall women's rights movement in Canada. And I, I don't think a lot of people know that. Like, we need to celebrate that that a First Nations woman, a Mohawk woman, a woman from Gunawage was a part of that movement and helped change a country. It needs to be known. She's literally a Canadian icon, in addition to being a shero for so many of us uh, on identity issues. And that's why another reason why your documentary is so important. Canada hasn't told the history of its own heroes. And think about all of these non-Native women. And I, and I believe it was the Status of Women report, which is one of the first reports to actually mention sex discrimination in the Indian Act and to tell the government, listen, you know, on women's issues, you also have to deal with this issue, uh, sex discrimination in the Indian Act. So she she's just has profoundly impacted so many people. And I'm I, like, I'm really thankful for your documentary. And another part about that, so you show Mary's voice, but then you also include the voice of one of her friends. Um, you know, and, and I'm wondering if you can talk about that because when I saw that, like I didn't know her. Um, in the beginning and listening to her, you know, so she was there at the time and she knew Mary. So you're talking to an elder, a very precious elder about this. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about her and her background and, and how you got to include her in the film. Yeah. So Nellie Carlson um, was Cree from Saddle Lake First Nation and, and she was now based in, in Edmonton. Um, a really beautiful, caring, and important elder, uh, instrumental in this movement as well. She she was one of the the co-founders of Indian Rights for Indian Women, the the movement, and she she unfortunately passed on uh, in September of last year. And she was such a huge part of this film. We I reached out to her again back in. 2017 when I was you know, just doing research and spent again months speaking with her and her daughter over the phone and and was excited to to be a part of this and share her perspective and at the time again we didn't know when we'd start filming if we were actually going to be able to to make this movie but to me it was just so important that um, you know, we need to sit down with Nellie now. She was she was 90 at the time that we need to sit down with Nellie and and record her. Uh, you know, anything can happen by the time we're ready to actually make the movie. Uh, this this was something urgent because you know, once our elders pass on, that knowledge goes with them unless it's been shared, you know, already for, for us to help carry on those stories. And, and just like Mary, uh, Nellie had the same situation where uh, there wasn't, there's not 
there's not much out there in the media that was kept. So it's the same thing that was like, this is the time. We really need to, to film with her now. And, and so we made that accommodation. And when I was in Edmonton in, in 2017, we sat down together and, and spoke. And she, she spoke for, I think, like an hour and a half. And she was just so passionate about these issues and the time she spent working. <coughs> so I, was, I just, again, so I couldn't be more grateful for the time they, you know, that her and her family shared with me. Um, she, she had a chance to see the film before it was completely finished, but she watched it several times at home. So I'm, I'm so happy that she, that she had the chance to uh, see it, express how she felt about it um, before she, she did pass on. And I just, it's just so, so important to have her be a part of it. And I think, I mean, there's so many things that she say, says in the film that are, are emotional, but I think one thing that sticks out to me when we talk about, you know, 1985 and Bill C31 and this law finally coming through and I'm asking her like, you know, what was it like, you know, all these years and I'm like 15, 17 years. And she's like, oh, she's like, it was like 20 plus years. Like, don't get me started was kind of her reaction. But what she said next was, oh, my children were all grown up by then. And, you know, it's, it's only the kind of thing, uh, you know, that someone like Nellie and these women could say that they're, they're measuring the time in the time that their children grew up and are now adults. That's the amount of time that they spent working on this issue and traveling and going to the governments and, you know, just having to put up with all of this. It's, the sacrifices that Mary and Nellie and all of the women from Indian Rights for Indian Women, you know, put up with, and the sacrifices that their families and children also did for First Nations women and children in this country. It also goes to show why it's so important to have Native filmmakers, because Natives push to do things outside of the box. What if you had waited till all your ducks were in a row, everything was good, everything was perfect, everything was confirmed, then we might never have heard Nellie's precious words, her voice, in her own voice. And I think that's, that's another gift in this documentary that is so important that you pushed, you made sure that we had this el this amazing elder leader warrior's voice in this documentary because you've now documented another hero. You've done that for her family, her community, and all of the women and children who've had this same experience. And, and you know, it really goes to show how important it is that we we go with our gut instincts that we we protect our elders voices that we push to make these things happen and you know that's also that's also on you Courtney that you thought to do this that you pushed for that or we could not we could have lost her voice and think about how many elders voices we don't have um, because it wasn't native people you know pushing for this and so I think I think that's so significant to this documentary and you and I'm sure you'll see a lot of when people finally get to see it, just how appreciative they are of that. Now, another person that you had in the documentary, I'm not going to name them all because we want to save some of it, um, was that you also included her son. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I didn't know that that was, you know, that that was her son. You know, I didn't know about her background, but the fact that, you know, he's talking about the impact on him and how, and how amazing his mother was coming from his voice. I think that's another important contribution. For me, it was always important to, again, Mary's telling her, her own story, but I didn't want to keep this in the past because there's many people who don't know anything about it. I didn't want them to see the film and think, oh, so this issue is resolved. It's a historical issue. Um, so I made sure to to bring people in today. I mean, I, I'm in the film and I, I gathered people together um, at Mary's home in Gunawage, which is now where her daughter lives. Um, to me, it's such an important place to be. It's where so much of the work started. It's where Mary grew up in the house, raised by her, her grandparents. Um, it's just, again, that connection to place. And I think of the, the history there and the, the women's meetings there when they're meeting in secret. And because the recordings were also done in that space, I'm like, we need to go back there and we need to listen to these recordings together and also just share some stories. And so her son, Ed, uh, came to join us. And, and then I invited uh, Jody Calibu Stonehouse and her daughter, Isabella, um, who live in the Edmonton area and are, are just two individuals who are impacted by, by Mary's work. And we just got together to listen and, and to reflect. Um, it was the first time that any of them were hearing these recordings. No. And for Ed, it was, um, again, it, it's, it's to hear that, that strength and compassion that, you know, you, you, he had from his mom, you know, you could just tell uh, all of his outlook on life was something that was passed down from his mom, Mary. And, and again, uh, Ed also passed away. Um, mm -hmm. He passed away as well in January. And so. and so here you have captured the voice of and the spirit of Mary in her son. And, you know, one of the things that struck me, like knowing that he had passed away, I was like, oh, my goodness, she caught yet another elder's voice who is mm -hmm. able to share something wonderful and happy and beautiful in the very place where she had secret meetings, in the very place where all of these women came up with, how are we going to do this? They were a support network for one another because they faced pushback, you know, from all elements of society. And here you have her son, you know, say, you just, you could hear the pride in his voice that his mom was such a warrior. And she, she left that legacy to him. And now, you know, his words will leave a legacy to other people in Gunawagi. And I find that, again, that's another really emotional and impactful part of the film. And thanks to you for, for making sure that we all get to benefit from that. Yeah. Like I said, it was just, uh, a, it was just the whole experience of making the film was very special and very relationship based. And I'm just, again, like so honored that, that I was, able, I was able to spend that time with Ed and with Nellie and, and to hear their stories. And that, and that again, we have this history. It was just the timing. We have this history 
that we can share through this film. You know, we are talking about a fight that Mary, uh, you know, was instrumental in, you know, getting rid of sex discrimination in the Indian Act and racism in the Indian Act that served to keep First Nation women and children away from their communities, away from their culture, away from their people, you know, away from who they are as people. And but a lot of people misunderstand that this is all history, that this is all in the past. And I think one of the most important things about this documentary is, yes, you know, this documentary shows, you know, Mary's work, but it is, it's a battle that's ongoing today. Again, I mean, some people might know and might not know, um, you know, the, the basis of this sex discrimination in the Indian Act really separated First Nations women and children um, from their communities if they married someone who was non-status. So they had to they had to leave their community. That meant they couldn't live there anymore. Uh, they're not allowed to be involved in uh, voting, decision-making in their community. And it's that separation um, trickled down the generations because that the first uh, law that Mary worked so hard for didn't, you know, fix or address all the sex discrimination. So there's been two subsequent laws. And the the most recent one, um, Bill, um, Bill, Bill S3, sorry, Bill S3, you know, now the Canadian government's like, yes, we, we've taken care of all sex discrimination. But um, it takes it takes time and there's so much trauma and people are, are people, these women and children are, are still living this. They, they need to apply to the Canadian government, you know, and see if they'll be accepted. And that's, you know, the big issue here is that the Canadian government is still determining, you know, who is first nations and, and who isn't. And that's, that's the big problem here. And and the women and children, well, the women, the women haven't been compensated uh, at all for any of this as well. Um, and on top of some of the barriers I've already you know, mentioned, it's just there's also that that barrier to access to culture, yeah. to language, again, to your community, because sometimes some of these things are are tied to having status in order to access them. And so it's, it's, it's these women, <laughs> women are doing the work to be able to reconnect with their communities, uh, to, to learn about their culture. Again, all the weight is being put on, being put on First Nations to tell the government, hey, step out, step back. This is, this is not what you should be doing. You know, for people who, who don't know, there's a very clear connection between murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls and the final report of the National Inquiry into murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls, who found that one of the root causes of violence and sex discrimination against uh, First Nation women today is the ongoing sex and race-based discrimination in the Indian Act that excluded them for so many years. And when they did include them, they included them under different sections. They never acknowledged the harm. And like you said, never compensated them. And so, you know, you have a system which is still ongoing and now you've got many other women 
like Sharon McIver and Lynn Gale and many other people that are still embroiled in litigation or um, lawsuits or complaints at the United Nations around uh, the failure to fully remedy, not just technically whether or not you get status, but what about all of that trauma? I mean, you know, you said it earlier, when you've got Mary and you've got Nellie talking about the impact, not in years, but in generations, whether it impacts their kids or their grandkids, whether they're grown or not grown. I mean, we're, it's, that would be unfathomable in Canadian society for th those kind of impacts to go on, yet we still have it. And so I appreciate that you have taken an issue that's still impacting us, but also helping to educate the Canadian public that, you know, we, we have these heroes who made a significant contribution, you know, where some of these amendments to the Indian Act would never have happened without their advocacy and leadership. And, you know, she really makes me proud and, and you make me proud that you're, you know, sharing her story. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about, you know, a, a very controversial issue. So we know that sex discrimination in the Indian Act, race discrimination is, is still very much an issue. We know there's a legislative extinction date for Indians, that this isn't a mistake. You know, Canada's intention was always to try to control us through the law and make sure that we're extinct someday in the future so they don't have to deal with our land issues, treaty issues, sovereignty issues, and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, First Nations and sovereign nations have responded saying, just get out of the business of telling us who's an Indian and, and let us decide. And so I want to, I want to, you know, talk about that just a little bit, because some people might say, you know, the Indian Act is a colonial instrument. It's racist. Why is Mary's fight to end sex discrimination in the Indian Act so important? It is so important. And because the Indian Act is the framework that we're working from right now. Um, it, it's, it's here, it's not going away anytime soon. I think many people uh, w would love to see something else and, and, you know, indigenous sovereignty. But until we get to that point, we need to, we need to get rid of the sex discrimination in the Indian Act because it's playing out in our lives every day. Something that, you know, people are just clearly unaware of uh, in terms of how many people it's still impacting. And one of the things I really appreciate, like you and I have had so many discussions about Mary, you know, as this amazing leader. And to me, Mary was effectively representing our sovereignty in the best way. You know, she was fighting against Canada controlling who we are as quote unquote Indians, as First Nations people. She was also fighting to protect the future of our nations, knowing that if we allow sex discrimination to continue in the Indian Act and keep excluding all of these women and children, we won't have nations in the future. So she was literally fighting at the heart of sovereignty for our communities. And that's that's another really impactful thing. And, you know, I can, I also appreciate what you were saying around the fact that the Indian Act, like nobody really wants the Indian Act. We all agree that it's problematic, but we also know it's not going away tomorrow. And so for every day that it exists, it can't be a piece of federal legislation that is sexist and racist and continuing to eliminate our communities by targeting uh, First Nation women and children. So I, I think this will re-up 
this issue in Canadian society, because a lot of people misunderstand that it has been uh, fully resolved. You know, let's get to some of the good, exciting part. What happens next? Give us the details about the Hot Docs premiere and and the special panel that you and I get to do during that time. Hot Docs um, is a documentary film festival that normally takes place in, in Toronto. This year it's virtual which, uh, you know, I think is, is great. It's, um, it'll be, all films will be accessible uh, to view across Canada. So it's, it gives Mary more of an opportunity to be seen and known. Um, the festival runs from April 29th to May 9th. And you can buy tickets at hotdocs.ca. And uh, so you just go on the website, there's a, you know, get tickets, and then it brings you to the whole program. And you can check out some some other films. There's other films by um, other Indigenous filmmakers as well. Uh, there's a great filmmaker, Almaya Tailfeathers. Um, she has her feature film that will be uh, premiering there as well. And I know that was, um, again, a very heartfelt project for her about her community, um, about her community's response to the, the opio- opioid crisis in her community. Um, so that's a really great film that I think you should also check out. And for our film, again, it's Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again. Um, and uh, for the panel, yeah, we'll be doing a virtual Q&A on Thursday, uh, May 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern. And so same thing, once you're on the hot docs, uh, Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again, there'll be five tickets and you can also RSVP for the panel right there. And we'll be talking about the film, uh, we'll be taking questions. We can discuss these issues, you know, in more detail. And then hopefully uh, it'll give people a chance to see the film so that they can ask even more about, you know, everything that they're going to experience. Yeah, that's a really exciting part. I mean, as you can tell, I'm super excited, not just about the documentary, but the issue itself. Um, and I'll make sure, obviously, to post links to all of this because the National Film Board, with whom you collaborated to make this documentary, has information on the, their website. They'll also be showing it on YouTube Live at the same time, so there's links for that as well. Um, but what what's really great is that you know we'll be able on this live panel to just answer questions. You know, the most burning questions about people who've who've seen the documentary, maybe who haven't seen the documentary, and, you know, help really get Mary's voice out there. And I think that's super exciting. And of course, you can follow Courtney in the meantime, and any updates she has on Instagram, she's at Courtney Montour. And then of course, on Facebook, Courtney.Montour, and you'll see us promoting it widely just in case uh, you forget. We'll post all of the links. But I think everybody needs to see this documentary to really appreciate Mary's voice, Courtney's voice, Nellie's voice, Ed's voice, like everybody that's that's been a part of it because, um, as you said, you know, when we were having this interview, it's really a culmination of all of the people you surrounded yourself with. I mean, even people who don't actually appear in the documentary have some kind of influence, even if it's just indirectly supporting or being excited about this. And you worked with a lot of people during this time, didn't you? So I'm I'm really looking forward to everyone getting the chance to see it. Um, 
all of the participants in the film have had the chance. And that was always something that that's something that's important to me that, uh, you know, that they always have a chance to see it, that that they feel their voice is respected um, and that they're OK with it going out into the world. So that was of the most importance. And the other thing I'm working on now is my Ganawage community screening. And so COVID kind of, you know, threw threw us a little curveball there, obviously. So right now we're, you know, it's it's not safe to have uh, in-person screening. So we will as soon as possible. And um, I'm looking at other options to have, you know, a free screening for, for Ganawage, for my community. Well, that's great. I mean, because that's literally the heart. That's the place where all of her spirit and advocacy and activism came from. It's where you're from. I mean, this is basically your family. So, Courtney, can I just say that I am truly honored to have been a part of this journey with you. This is a really important story that's being told. And you're a real leader and visionary in terms of making sure that our voices are represented properly. And I'm extremely grateful that you joined me on this podcast so that everyone will get to hear all the background about what went into this documentary and hear your voice, you know, straight from you about how meaningful it was, all of the people that you worked with and, you know, this the important issues that are still here. So um, thank you, Walalan and Nyawin for being a part of this. Niawa, to you too as well for being a part of it. Thank you to all of our Warrior Life podcast listeners and now uh, YouTube viewers of these podcasts for continuing to support this podcast, for w always watching and listening to these podcasts, helping to uplift the voices of all of the Native warriors that come on here. Again, thank you for tuning into this podcast. Till next time, Keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. Well,